right. Well, once again, welcome to Living Hope Church. Welcome to those uh, joining us online. Uh, Today, we are continuing in our Easter series that we are calling Journey to Jerusalem. Um, And in this series, we are encountering some of the people that Jesus met as he traveled to Jerusalem to give his life for the sins of the world. We began in Luke chapter 9 when Jesus resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem. Jesus knew what awaited him there, and he went knowingly to give his life for your sins and my sins because he so loved us and the world. Last week, we saw Jesus embrace children, and he exalted them as the model for how we ought to come and receive him. They are the model not because of their lack of knowledge and simple understanding, but because of their openness to freely receive. And that was contrasted with the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler who had everything going for him in the world. He was young, he was rich, he was powerful, he was a good guy in the eyes of the world. But all that left him believing he was good in his own right and that he could earn salvation in heaven on his own. When Jesus revealed this to the young man, he walked away because he wanted Jesus on his terms as opposed to surrendering his life and following him. Children, we saw, recognize their desperate need for help, so they freely receive. But us as adults and Americans, we like to believe that we are good and that we can earn our way to anything, including Jesus and including eternity with him. So today we're going to meet another man, and this is a man that you might be familiar with. Um, If you grew up in and around the church, you might even know a little song about this man. But like the rich young ruler, this man has made money his idol. But his response to the gospel to Jesus is going to be dramatically different. But there's one thing that makes this man different than the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler, he had it all. He was beloved by the people, and he was a guy that you would want on your team each and every time. Zacchaeus, the man we're going to meet today, was far from that. Like the rich young ruler, he had made money his idol, his prized possession. But his pursuit of money had made him an enemy of his own people. Zacchaeus had made his wealth at the expense of others. Now, we don't like paying taxes today, but in Zacchaeus' day, tax collectors weren't just unpopular, but they were traitors, they were thieves, they were despised. Because in Rome, when they would occupy a new city, they would desire to tax that new city. And they would desire to tax it heavily to pay for their empire and their continued expansion. And so the Romans came up with this ingenious plan. Instead of just sending a random Roman official to the city to tax it, they would hire someone from within the city. You see, a transplant didn't know who had the money or where the money was hidden, but they found that a local did. And what they would do is they would tell this new tax collector, we want so much money collected in the city, but anything you collect beyond that is yours to keep. And then they would give them soldiers to go with them and enforce the taxes. This is the sheriff of Nottingham and his enforcers in Robin Hood. And so tax collectors, they would extract these huge sums of money from their own people. They would send it back to Rome, and in the process, they would get rich. And they had these enforcers so that they would, if people didn't comply, they would have them punished, beaten, thrown in jail, and even killed. So Zacchaeus is a Jewish man that has betrayed his family, friends, and community for selfish gain. The Jewish Mishnah goes so far as to say that tax collectors were so loathsome that they should not even be considered human beings. We're told that Zacchaeus is not just a regular tax collector, but he is the chief tax collector. He had made his money such an idol in his life that he was willing to sell out, to cheat, to steal from his family, friends, neighbors, relatives, from his own people. Zacchaeus was an outsider hated by all. 
Yet we'll see his response to Jesus is dramatically different from the rich young ruler. So we're in Luke chapter 19, and we're going to read verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and they began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you uh, for this story. Lord, we thank you for your love of a man like Zacchaeus. Lord, we thank you that a man like Zacchaeus can find his faith and his hope in you. And God, I, 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 we thank you and praise you that you came to seek and to save the lost, which is all of us. Lord, I pray that as we look at this story and we, we learn from it, God, I pray that you would open just our hearts and our minds to what you have for each of us today. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here that doesn't know you, that they might experience your grace and your forgiveness and your righteousness today. And God, I pray that for those, many, here, many of us here that, that know you and have known you for a long time, Lord, that you would give us your eyes and your heart for the people around us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And it's your name we pray. Amen. So Zacchaeus was an outsider in his community. He was a thief. He was a miser. He had made money his God. He was a traitor. He was a despised man. This is the kind of man you wouldn't expect to walk into a church building and you wouldn't expect to walk up to Jesus. But we see there's something in the beginning that is stirring in him that caused him to seek Jesus out. In verse 3, it says that Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. Now, it's hard to know what is causing him to seek Jesus, but we can take some educated guesses. By this time, there was certainly a buzz around Jesus' ministry, and stories were being told of his healings and his teachings. So perhaps Zacchaeus just wanted to see the show and see a miraculous healing. But I tend to think it was more than that. I tend to believe that Zacchaeus had heard the teachings of Jesus and heard how he offered hope and forgiveness even to those outside of the synagogue. Something is stirring in Zacchaeus' life, and so he goes to see Jesus. But we see in verse 3 that Zacchaeus kind of runs into a difficult situation. For Zacchaeus is a wee little man, a wee little man is he. He wants to see Jesus, but he can't see over the crowd. Because he's an outsider, because he is despised by everyone, you can almost like envision him trying to sneak through the crowd and the crowd closing in so he can't get through. Kind of give him that side hip so he can't get through. So then Zacchaeus, he takes this bold step. He runs ahead and he finds a sycamore tree with those nice low branches and he scampers on up so that he can see Jesus. Now this is a bold step. Think about church. Imagine if somebody over the age of eight just stood up in their chair in order to see the screen. Right? We would surely be talking after church about what were they doing or what were they thinking. But this is an easy, even riskier move for Zacchaeus. As he climbed the tree, everyone would have seen that he was there. They would have wondered why a tax collector was there. And they would have been talking about that grown man that had climbed the sycamore tree. So Zacchaeus climbs the tree. He puts himself out on a limb, literally. He climbs to the top of a tree like a six-year-old, and he just waits for Jesus. 
two things for us to see here. First of all, if you are here or you're watching online and you are seeking purpose, answers, you are curious about Jesus, then my encouragement for you is to seek him out. Sadly, in this story, it was the followers of Jesus that kept Zacchaeus from seeing him. Whether intentional or not, they had created a barrier between him and Jesus. The truth is that followers of Jesus and those that go to this church are broken sinners just like you and me. We pray we are growing to be more like Jesus each and every day, but we do and say and act in a hypocritical and foolish ways all the time. So if you are seeking Jesus, don't let a poor encounter with a Christian or a church jade you and keep you from encountering him yourself. Climb the sycamore tree, read the Gospels, ask your questions, and encounter Jesus. Secondly, if you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, don't let your biases and evaluations of people keep you from sharing Jesus with them. Don't ever assume that someone isn't seeking after God or after some sort of purpose in their life. Oftentimes, it's the people that seem farthest from God that are simply seeking meaning or purpose, but they're seeking it in all the wrong places. Don't assume that people aren't looking for answers and they're not open to the hope of the gospel. Don't make assumptions about who will and will not be seeking spiritually. Just be ready to share the gospel with whoever God brings in your path. From the outside, Zacchaeus he seemed to, to have his life figured out. He seemed to be where he was, wanted to be. He, he was the chief tax collector, not just a regular one. From a financial per- perspective, he seemed to have it all, but there was something missing in his life. We see that all the time in our culture. We, we hear successful people in our own lives or on TV that are struggling in life despite all the money in the world. We hear celebrity and sports stars that check into rehab or share about their struggles, and we say, how hard can life be with millions of dollars in fame? But the Bible tells us those things don't give us purpose. And the reality is no matter how much you have in this world, whether it be success, power, wealth, possessions, we all have this void in our life that can only be filled by Jesus. So if you're a believer, remember that just because someone has all the money, all the toys, has a great job, it doesn't mean that they're not seeking meaning, hope, and purpose in this life. Just because someone has it all in this world doesn't mean that they're in any less desperate need for the gospel. Engage with those around you. Love them. Share with them. And that's what we're going to see Jesus do. And again, if you're here struggling today to find your purpose in life, I would encourage you to investigate this Jesus guy. Because I guarantee your happiness won't be discovered in a promotion or your next job or even in your spouse or kids. Verse 5. Jesus gets to the place where Zacchaeus is and he does something incredible. He doesn't ignore him as we would expect. He doesn't just kind of give him a head nod and in recognition of his climbing prowess. But Jesus stops and he talks to Zacchaeus. Jesus sees this sinner, this outcast, this criminal who has resorted to climbing a tree as a grown man. And he takes the time to talk with him. So that's our first point today. Jesus sees Zacchaeus and he talks with him. If you are here today and you are a follower of Jesus or if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know this just simple truth that we see here. And that is that Jesus sees you, he loves you, and he is available to you. Jesus, the creator of the universe, sees you. The Bible says he created you. The Bible says he knows the numbers of hairs on your head. The Bible says he loves you so much he gave his life for you. And he's available to you. He's available to speak to you through his word. He's available through prayer. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he indwells and is with you in the Holy Spirit. 
We don't have a distant God that is some sort of mystery out there in the cosmos that isn't interested in us, but we have a God that knows us and desires to be in relationship with us. That's incredible. As believers, we need to live in this reality. Jesus sees you, knows you, and loves you. He knows your struggles. He knows your sin. He knows your mess, and he is right there available to you in the midst of it all. I'd encourage you this week to just take some time and dwell on that incredible reality. The other thing we see here is, is for believers is we see a pattern for how we are to love those around us. Even those we might call outsiders. We are called to see the people around us as Jesus sees them and then engage with them. Just talk to people. It's so easy to keep our heads down and to do our thing and never see the need, the losses, the desperation that surrounds us each and every day. But if we want those around us to know Jesus, if we want to see the gospel spread in our community, we must be a church and a people that see those around us and see them with the compassion that Jesus did. The compassion that leads us to love and to share our hope with them. One of my favorite stories that illustrates this is in Mark chapter 6. And in Mark chapter 6, Jesus, he, he learns that his good friend John the Baptist has been murdered. He's grieved by this. He then goes and feeds 5,000. And then at this moment, he tries to get away on a boat and just find some rest and some solitude just to, to kind of grieve and process all that is going on. But as he tries to get away, Mark tells us the crowd finds him. Jesus deserved a break. But instead of sending them on their way, Mark tells us that Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. Because he said they were hopeless. And instead of sitting in the way, he sits down and he begins to teach. It is so easy to view people as a bother to what we are doing. Especially people who believe and act differently than we may act. Or people who have hurt us or whose lives are messy and, and are sin-filled. In this story, Jesus saw Zacchaeus and it says he loved him. He talked to him as he was. Jesus sees people. He has compassion on them and then he talks to them. And that's a simple pattern for us as believers. We have to stop viewing people as the enemy or as an annoyance, but instead have compassion on them and simply dialogue, share, talk with them. What might this look like for you? Maybe, maybe this is just getting out some extra snacks at your house and having the neighbor kids over or, or taking time and listening to that child or that coworker that drives you nuts. Maybe this means when you're at Smith's not dodging and diving down that opposite aisle, but stopping and listening to someone that needs to talk. Or maybe it means sitting by that parent all by themselves at the baseball game or the one that's just yelling at their kid and just stepping in and sitting with them and talking. Calling up the relative that's going off the deep end and inviting them to dinner. Whatever it is, it's, it's this idea of seeing the people around us, having compassion on them and inviting them into our lives and into our faith. That's what Jesus did. Let's look at verse 5. In verse 5, Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus and he says to him, he not only sees him, but he talks to him. He says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately, for I must stay at your house today. And this right here is, is scandalous. This is shocking in first century Jewish culture. Righteous people did not go to the home of a sinner. And that day, to eat with someone, to go to their house and share a meal with them, was a sign of intimate fellowship. It meant that you were accepting them, that you were committing yourself to a relationship, a friendship with them. And the shocking thing here is that Jesus is extending this invitation long before Zacchaeus had cleaned his life up. But that's the message of the gospel. 
Every other religion says clean yourself up before you come to God. But the gospel, which just means the message or the good news of Jesus, is that Jesus loves you so much that he gave his life for you while you were still a sinner. The gospel is Jesus loved us. He loved you and I when we were sinners with absolutely nothing good to offer him. The gospel is grace extended long before our behaviors and our lives were changed. That's point two. Jesus' offer of grace proceeds life change. This is going to make the people there and the Pharisees and the religious leaders irate, but we'll, we'll touch on that in a second. But for us today, I want you to know that no matter who you are, what your past looks like, how good or bad you think you are, Jesus offers grace and forgiveness for you anytime because he loves you. And that's the incredible message of the gospel, that Jesus, who knew no sin, would love sinners like you and me so much that he would go to the cross and pay the penalties that our sins deserved so that we could walk free in his righteousness, in his goodness, in his forgiveness. If you don't know Jesus, your Lord and Savior, he sees you, he loves you, and he extends his salvation, his righteousness, his forgiveness to you today. He doesn't say, clean your life up first and come find me, but he says, I am here. If you will follow me, there's forgiveness and new life in me. Every other religion in the world says, change, clean up, and God will accept you. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, reverses that, and it says, God has offered acceptance to you. Then in response to that invitation, to that forgiveness, our life is changed. While Zacchaeus was still a sinner, still a thief, still a traitor, Jesus welcomes him in. And that's the pattern, once again, for us as church and believers, as we love and share Jesus with those around us. We need to see people and love them where they are. We have to stop expecting non-Christians to act like Christians and being upset when they don't. Our response to the non-believer should be love, grace, compassion, and sharing the hope we have. We can't expect people to clean up their lives, to clean up their language, to change their dress, to change their behavior, and just show up magically changed at our church one day. We are called to take the grace, the love of God to people and share it with them where they are. In the mess, in the sin, in the chaos. And so often we don't even see the people around us. And instead, we stand to the side just like the crowd, and we judge and we shake our heads. Jesus doesn't stand off to the side and talk about how terrible tax collectors are. He sees Zacchaeus, a person in need of a Savior, and he loves him, and he offers grace and invites himself into his life. This past week, I heard a story about a pastor. This pastor had been a hard-parting fraternity brother in college when he had encountered Jesus, and it changed his life. He said the day he became a believer, a follower of Jesus, he quit drinking cold turkey. His experience with Jesus led him to change. Well, as a member of the fraternity, he would still go to the parties, but he wouldn't drink. And to make it clear to everyone that he didn't drink, he would carry around a giant jug of orange juice, and he would drink directly from it. He said after one party, he was helping clean up when one of the fraternity brothers came up, and they asked him if he wanted to drink. He told the fraternity brother, you ask me that every single week, but you know I don't want a beer. He said at that moment, the man picked him up by his shirt, slammed him against the wall, and said, I know you don't want a beer, but I want to know why you have never asked me if I want some orange juice. He said the man walked off. The pastor said he broke down and was a changed man from that point on. Everyone there knew what he was against, but he had never shared what he had. He had assumed that because his fraternity brother's lifestyle was different, they wouldn't be interested in his faith. 
And he had never offered his orange juice or his faith with them. He never offered to experience what he had. He'd been waiting for his fraternity brothers to clean their lives up or to experience Jesus somewhere else before he shared what he had. It wasn't intentional, but he had never taken the time to see and to show the grace and love of God to those around him. In Rallyist Church, I think we often find ourselves like this pastor. We know Jesus. We've experienced his goodness and his forgiveness. But for whatever reason, we've decided that the people around us won't be receptive to the good news. And so we stop sharing or we never start sharing. We need to be not only people who not only see, we need to not only see the people around us and talk to them, but we need to, we need, we get to, it's a privilege, we get to be the bearers of the grace and love of God to them in tangible ways. As we saw last week, every conversion is an act of God. But often there are common themes, and, and one of those common themes is that someone showed unexpected kindness, the love of God to, to, to us, to, to the new believer in a tangible way before they were open to hearing the gospel. So who do you need to show grace and kindness to? So they can encounter Jesus. Who do you need to stop standing on the side judging and reach out to? The story of the gospel is grace before life change. And as Christians, we are called to be bearers of that grace and love to the world long before the behaviors may change. I'm sure I've shared elements of this story before, but when I think about this subject, I can't think about how this kind of love and kindness has shaped my family. My father-in-law, who has preached here before, uh, his name is Jeff Orge, he grew up in a family that was dysfunctional with a capital D. Uh, His family was without means, the adults were alcoholics, and the family tree still has so many branches on it that after 10 years, I I still can't figure out who's who. But that being said, when my father-in-law was uh, was a 12-year-old little boy at the county fair, a man at a booth asked him for his opinion about Jesus. And through that conversation, he shared the gospel with him, and he invited him to church. And when he got to the church, uh, there were five men at that church who essentially adopted him and came around him as their son. They loved him, and they invested in him. They went to all of his ball games. They welcomed him to church. They told him about God. They helped to pay his way through school, and they showed God's love and grace to him in tangible ways. And it's through his salvation, which was initiated by by these five men, that our family is much different than it might have been. His dysfunctional family was changed by his faith, and many across the nation have been impacted by his life. But that journey all started with a few men who engaged the young boy who came from an unlikely family, and most importantly, they loved the kid from the unlovable family. We never know what God has planned for others, and we never know what he is doing in their lives. It is our call as followers of Jesus to engage those around us and show them the love of God. That's what we see Jesus do here. He engages Zacchaeus and he invites him to join him. And the love of Jesus for Zacchaeus is contrasted in verse 7 with the grumblings of the crowd. It says all the people saw this and they began to mutter, he is gone to be the guest of the sinner. The crowd doesn't get it. The crowd is like the rich young ruler and they believe that they have earned, they have become worthy of Jesus by the way they live their lives because of the scripture they have memorized, because of how well they have obeyed the commandments, because of their perceived goodness but we know the reality is that none of us are good enough to make ourselves right with God the Bible says we are all sinners and the wage or the consequence of that 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 sin is death and separation from God there is nothing we can do on our own to make us worthy of God's grace church attendance doesn't make us worthy good deeds don't make us worthy 
Giving away our money doesn't make us worthy. Nothing makes us worthy of God's grace. But it's the lost, the sinner that Jesus gave his life for and he came to save. In fact, it's, it's our sinfulness, just like Zacchaeus' a sinfulness that doesn't disqualify us from Jesus. But in fact, it is our recognition of our sin that opens our hearts to his invitation. It is our recognition of our own sin that allows us to be the child with open hands ready to freely receive the gift of God's grace. And that's Zacchaeus. The rich young ruler last week believed he was good based on his own merits. He believed that he could earn salvation. Zacchaeus, on the other hand, is quite aware of his sin. He knows that he is in desperate need of help. And he is thus ready to receive. And when he meets Jesus, he doesn't walk away shaking his head like the rich young ruler. But he leaves transformed. Verse 8. Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay, I will pay them back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. When Zacchaeus encounters and experiences Jesus, his life is transformed, and he leaves a changed man. And that's our final point today. Knowing Jesus leads to radical life change. Last week, the rich young ruler met Jesus and wasn't willing to relinquish the things of this world for him. Ultimately, he said he, we said that he believed that the things of the world were better than Jesus. But when Zacchaeus met Jesus, he found something that was better and it freed him to let go of those things that he once thought were so valuable. We saw earlier Zacchaeus's love of money had caused him to betray his family, betray his friends, his community. Zacchaeus had made money his idol. Money was his source of comfort, security. It was his greatest desire. But when he found Jesus, he found something better, and he freely gave it up. And for some of us, money is our idol, but for others, it's something different. We've talked about this a lot, but idols are often good things that we have made God things. We have elevated them above everything else. I don't know what that is for you, but what is it for you that you would struggle to release control of or possession of? And we see that when Zacchaeus meets Jesus, he freely lets go of his idol. He meets Jesus, and he starts passing out his money like candy. In their culture, 20% was considered a generous amount, but he's going to give away 50%. Then he said if he had cheated anyone, he will repay them fourfold. That was the highest standard set by the Old Testament law. And it was an amount only set for those that stole cattle. He was going above and beyond what was asked. In fact, the amazing thing about this story is there, there is nowhere in this story that Jesus asked him to give up his wealth or to repay his debt. This is just his natural response to experiencing something better. But why is this Zacchaeus' response? And is it your response to your idols? We see that money no longer has a hold of him. We, little Zacchaeus, has found a greater treasure than money. And that treasure is Jesus. He has seen that Jesus is a greater God than money could ever be. He has experienced Jesus who loved him. Money and whatever your idol is cannot love you. Zacchaeus could love it. We can love it. But it can never love us back. Jesus had forgiven Zacchaeus and pursued after Zacchaeus, even after he'd failed him. Money and whatever is your idol can't and won't do that. Idols instead say to us, if you fail me, I'll leave you behind, and you will be miserable forever. Idols say to us, give up your family, give up your friends, give up your morals, your dignity, if that's what it takes to get me. Get me, whatever it takes, at all costs, seek me. But Jesus says, I love you so much that I will give my life, my all for you. 
Jesus was establishing a kingdom that would last forever. Zacchaeus knew that money couldn't do it. He knew that money would die with him. And so when Zacchaeus finds something better, he freely releases that which he thought, he once thought was so valuable. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells this incredible little parable or story that kind of encapsulates this. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, I love that, in his joy, went and sold all that he had and bought that field. The treasure this man has found is Jesus. And when he found Jesus, he went and he sold everything he had because the treasure was more valuable to him. The treasure, which is Jesus, was better than all he owned. Jesus is better than our idols, better than our riches, better than prestige, better than earthly power, better than our pride, better than our comforts, better than anything this world has to offer. And when we properly view Jesus as better, it frees us to give our all, to give our lives for him. To live lives of generosity in all areas for his glory so that he may be known. Zacchaeus' life was changed by his encounter with Jesus. And he leaves a changed man. I think about how Zacchaeus' life was so radically changed. And it makes me look at my life and examine my life. And I would encourage you to examine yours as well. Has Jesus so changed my life? Zacchaeus was a lost man, but when he, when he encounters Jesus, he leaves radically transformed. If you're a follower of Jesus, how is your relationship with Jesus changing your life? Am I storing up treasures here on earth and living for them, or am I storing up treasures in heaven? You see, if Zacchaeus' life is any pattern for what it looks like to follow Jesus, then our lives ought to be changed as well. Our priorities ought to be transformed our relationship with him we see it there jesus sees the change and he says today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost one small point on both these verses and then we'll wrap up at that time a lot of jews believed that they were simply saved because they were born jews but jesus tells us that zacchaeus's salvation has nothing to do with his family tree but all to do with his faith and his encounter with him. In the same way, our parents' faith does not save us. An act such as infant baptism doesn't save us. The only thing that saves us is an encounter with Jesus Christ. So have you ever experienced Jesus and began a relationship with him, or are you just relying on your parents' faith or acts of tradition? None of us, no matter how great our family tree or how much we know or how much we do, are worthy of Jesus. But instead, we are all sinners in need of his forgiveness. Jesus died for all. We just need to trust him to repent and ask for that forgiveness. He died for the outsider, the enemy, the criminal, but also for those of us that grew up in the church. But we all must humble ourselves and ask for his forgiveness. Last thing we see in verse 10. Jesus reinforces this in the mission of his, of his ministry with a familiar verse. He says, For the Son of Man, which is a name for himself, Jesus came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus' purpose was to save those that were lost, and that is now the mission of the church and us as Christians. We are called to see everyone as potential recipients of God's grace and not the enemy or the outsider. We have to stop discounting people or assuming that they have their life figured out. Often it is those that we assume have it all that are searching the most. 
when we have achieved what we thought would make us complete and happy, yet are still as broken as ever, we are searching for answers. It wasn't fame, money, or success that those around us need, but it is forgiveness in a relationship with Jesus that they are in desperate need of. Never discount someone. You don't know what God is doing in their life, and it is our mission and our privilege as Christians to share Jesus with those that are lost. So as we seek to respond, I think there's a couple places we can be. First of all, if you are here or watching online, are you Zacchaeus in need of a Savior? Have you achieved all that you thought would provide fulfillment and yet are not fulfilled? Do you feel like you are the outsider, the, the traitor, the thief that maybe is too far gone for Jesus to forgive? The Bible, the gospel tells us that Jesus sees you. He loves you where you are. He loves you so much he gave his life for you. And he, honors, honor, he desires to give you his righteousness, his forgiveness, his salvation. So have you experienced Jesus before? Maybe you need to just continue to investigate him today or, and investigate the truth of what the gospels say about him. Or maybe you are ready today to surrender your life and trust your life to him. If that's you, would you, could, you could do that in your seat with a simple prayer. You can come talk with me or a friend that you know as a follower of Jesus. We would love to help you with that. Secondly, if you are here and a follower of Jesus, as you think of Zacchaeus' story and how his life was so radically changed, as you look at your life, is it changed and transformed by your faith in Jesus? Or maybe for you, you just need to kind of identify those idols in your life and examine, have I released those to him? If the answer is no, then, then repent of that and ask God to, to allow you and, and help you to release those to him. Take steps to practically and tangibly release those things to him. Then finally, if you're a follower of Jesus, who is it that you have discounted or judged and need to show his love to? This week, in, intentionally, show his love in tangible ways. Initiate a conversation. Perhaps you need to invite someone to lunch or to dinner or to coffee and just begin to share your life with them. You need to invite them in. Share your orange juice, share your faith, and share Jesus with them. If you're here and you can't think of anyone or there's not anyone in your life you can think of, ask God to get, put someone in your life or to show you who it is that you need to show his love to this week. I'm going to pray for us, and as I do, the worship team, they'll come and uh, lead us in a final song. Dear Heavenly Father, first and most, first and foremost, we thank you that you uh, came to save those that were lost. Because that's each and every one of us. Without you, we are lost and in desperate need of a Savior. And Lord, we thank you that, that it, is, it is us, the sinners, that you came to save. We can't earn your salvation in our own right, but it is freely given through your grace alone. And Lord, I pray if there's someone here that doesn't know you in that way as Lord and Savior, that they find themselves in the spot of Zacchaeus, seeking and searching for purpose and who you are, God, I pray that you would reveal yourself in a, a powerful way and that they would see their need for you. God, I pray that you would give them the courage to step down from that tree and, and to follow after you the rest of their lives. That they would experience your forgiveness, your goodness, your righteousness, your salvation. And God, I pray for us as a church and as individuals who are followers of you, Lord, I pray that you would, that you would open our eyes, that you would just radically shake our lives, that we would just see who you are and what you've done in our lives. 
as we grow to love you and, and see what you have done in our lives, Lord, that you would open our hands to freely release those things that we have elevated and lifted above you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the people around us, to see our community, those that we love and our families and, and those at our works and, and everywhere else, that you would help us to see them with your compassion for them. That we become people that pray for those around us, that love them and show them grace in tangible ways, and that we would boldly share your hope. God, that's our prayer that many might come to faith and experience your goodness and forgiveness through us. Lord, we thank you for this story. We thank you that you love the Zacchaeuses of the world. We thank you that you love the Rondies of this world, that you love the people of this church and our community. God, we ask you to move as only you can move. In your name we pray. Amen. Of God. All right, you can have a quick.